0: What does it look like to step out on an endeavor of having your very own branded beef program?
1: It might seem daunting, mm-hmm. but I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there.
0: Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlay Meats is my guest today as we talk about why they have started down a road of having their own branded beef products, how they put it together, and the advice they'd give to others that may be looking at something similar on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome again to another episode of the Working Branch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Glad to have you here along with us today. By the way, today is episode 44. So if you're listening on any podcast provider out there, if you want to go back and listen to the show today is episode 44 you just search any major podcasting app out there and you will find us working ranch radio show there we will be also appreciate you tuning in here on rural radio channel 147 sirius xm we are here every saturday and sunday at 12 noon eastern and glad to have you tuning in that way as well Well, on our show today, uh, I'll tell you what, if you raise cattle, you have probably had this thought circle through your head, and maybe you've not acted on it, but you've maybe sold a beef or two to some local folks and thought, I wonder, what would it take to put my ranch's name on a beef product and try to get a branded beef product of our own. Well, today, Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlet Meats. Now, it's also DeBrucker Charlet out of Dutton, Montana. They are going to be joining me today as Brett is going to give us a little bit of insight about how they went through that process and where they're at in that and, and some of the things that they have learned from that that can be shared with uh, someone that might be looking at doing that themselves. So, a good and interesting story of where DeBrucker Charlet started back in the late 50s and 60s and all the way to where we're at today so that is going to be our featured topic for today also the captain tim o'burn will be by for his edition of tim's two cents and meteorologist don day is back and if you were listening last week on our show i said one of the questions i was going to ask uh, meteorologist don day when he was back here with us for today's episode was I had heard in the national media that the La Nina uh, pattern was extended. Well, what I wanted to know was, is it extended beyond what we thought it was, or is it just the national media finally catching up with what we've been talking about here with uh, with uh, Don Day on our program throughout the summer? So we'll find out the answer to that question and also... I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to last week's episode, episode forty-three, in which it was a conversation that I had with Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University. A great interview, and uh, very encouraged by what she is doing down at Colorado State University with the AgNext program in in trying to supply good, solid, sound data for the ag industry and livestock agriculture about our industry as we find ourselves always combating against some of the negative negative. information that is being put out there, sometimes in the name of science. Nevertheless, there were some very disturbing things that she relayed to me about our society that really, I guess, to be quite honest with you, weighed on my mind a bit. So in our second to the last segment, before we join up with meteorologist Donde, I will be offering a commentary on my view of that program from last week. Well, before we get too far, let's thank our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And, boy, we're right on the cusp if you haven't already started in the bull buying season. And there was a survey done a few years ago that showed the growth in the different breeds of bulls sourced by commercial producers between 2014 and 2020. And d- did you know that the largest growth in bull breed type during that time was bulls with Sim genetics? So heterosis works, which is why with Simmental... It's more per head. Period. Find out more at cemental.org. Biozyme protect and recovery with Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita dash charge. Other sponsors include Performance Beef. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers all across the nation. Give them a call at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. And finally, Keneally Angus, their fall bull sale coming up on Monday, November 22nd. For more information or to request a catalog, go to keneallyangus.com. Well, now let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents.
2: Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land and social media. we got 165,000 Facebook followers. We've got 53,000 Instagram followers. We love every single one of you and appreciate it. And I'm really, really, I just want to thank everybody for responding to my weekly post on Friday when I go, it's Friday. What's everybody doing out there in cow country? Don't make me come out there and find you. I'm the, I'm the nosy neighbor. I want to know what you're doing. You always come back with many, many responses, uh, video, photographs. What an amazing, and, and, and how blessed are we to be able to share a snapshot of what everybody is doing on a given day. In cow country, it could be anything from preg checking to sorting calves, calving out, uh, making some nice fence, or maybe heading to town for a high school football game. Love it. Keep on doing it. Now, our Working Ranch Expo is coming up here in Las Vegas, Nevada during NFR, December 8th to 10th at the Convention Center in the North Hall. It's going to be really exciting. we got a great list of uh, seminar speakers, a bunch of exhibitors Everything's coming together nicely. Uh, I, I know everybody is aching for a, a, a break from this brutal summer that we've all been through. And uh, I think the I think it's going to be magical. We still got a few booth slots open. So give Gina Bryson, uh, fire her an email, gina at workingranchmag.com, gina at workingranchmag.com, or head over to our Website and click on the expo page there. We would love to see you. We can't wait for this event. We're all going to be so ready for it. And uh, safe travels. We'll see you December 8th to 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Back to you in the booth, Justin.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Captain. And and I don't know, it was a few episodes back, uh, the Captain was talking a little bit about us being all down there for the Working Ranch Expo and the type of snazzy outfit he was going to be dressed in. Uh, he's talking something about sparkles and and uh, I don't know if he's going to have like a taco cowboy hat or some sort like that but yeah, anyways I'm going to be there as well. Let's see what the captain's going to be wearing when he steps up on stage to moderate some of our great speaker events that are going to be taking place down there. Join us. I'm going to be there as well. I can tell you right now I probably will not be in a sparkly outfit but I cannot account for the captain as he has uh, said he's kind of liking that retro feel of getting back to vegas and so we'll find out anyways uh, thanks captain again for this week's edition of tim's two cents we'll stay with us when we come back brett debrucker with debrucker charlie meets joins us as we talk about how they got started in developing their own branded beef product and advice they'd offer to others looking to pursue the same endeavor when we return on the working ranch radio show It's a competitive calf market and buyers want calves that will perform. Period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass fraternity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups, and the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire so the proof's right there for low risk high potential calves with earning potential be confident that sim genetics will give you more per head period stand strong sim tall welcome back to the working ranch radio show here on grill radio channel 147 sirius xm i'm your host justin mills Our featured interview today is being brought to you by Biozyme. Protect and recovery with Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. Well, as we talked about uh, at the beginning of our program, our featured interview today is about a branded beef program and how that was established. So I'm pleased to have with us today, Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlay and DeBrucker Charlay Meats out of Dutton, Montana. Brett, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: Yeah, thank you, Justin. It's an honor to be here and uh, do a little radio show with you. We appreciate it very much and appreciate working with Working Ranch.
0: Well, first of all, really the, the focus of our interview today is going to be talking about debrucker Charlet meats. We're going to get into that in a, in a bit, but I think it's important that we step back and get some uh, background about debrucker Charlet and where, how you guys were, were established back in, in the late 1960s, early 70s, and kind of give us a history of debrucker Charlet.
1: Well, my mom and dad, Lloyd and Jane, uh, they got their first Charlet bowl back in 1958. And uh, they ran that bull on some commercial cows, just some baldy and black Angus, red Angus type cows. And they liked the uh, offspring so well and, and the type of production that they got from that crossbreeding with the Charlet bull. that in 1963, they decided to buy their first uh, Charlet heifers. They were, at that time, it was hard to get purebred cattle. So they uh, they bought some half-blood Charlet heifers and started breeding them up from there.
0: mm mm-hmm. Now uh, there's an interesting story about, uh, back in 1974 when, when, uh, when your dad took uh, a bull down to Denver, Colorado and, uh, it, that involved taking the bull up, a, an elevator. <laughs> we, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Dad always liked telling
1: the story. So.
0: <laughs> well, uh, relay that story a bit.
1: Yeah. So they bought a, they had a bull called Baymark and, uh, they wanted to get him into a, uh, uh. American International Charlie Association sale. And so dad was talking with the uh, sale representative. And at that time, you know, it was all about showing as, as it seems like it can be today as well. But the, the, the representative for the sale asked dad, he said, How, what's your bull's uh, show record? And dad, knowing that the bull had never shown a lick in his life, but was a really great bull. And uh, he'd proven him up through, uh, you know, what to be a great meat sire his reply to that sh- that uh, representative well, it was well he's undefeated, and that got him un- that got him into the sale, and uh, so as the story goes, they took him down to uh, the sale in Denver, and at the Hilton Hotel, they had to bring him up live into the sale ring, and they had to take him in an elevator and take him up about two or three floors to the sale ring. And uh, Dad said that was one of the most interesting experiences he's ever had, taking a bull up an elevator. Mm-hmm. And uh, sounds like it was a lot of fun, and the bull handled it quite well. And, and uh, what he really enjoyed also telling was that that bull, who was uh, quote-unquote undefeated yeah. in his show ring, went on to uh, realize more, more uh, r- gross revenue mm-hmm. than all the rest of the sale combined. Yeah so <laughs> I, it, was, yeah. it was quite a start to Debrucker Charley, and, and we're pretty thankful for Dad Mom's uh, ingenuity and, and fortitude.
0: Mm-hmm. A little bit more about uh, your, your family's operation there because it is, uh, in my understanding, right, you are the largest Charlet uh, operation in the country.
1: Yeah, we have uh, the most purebred Charlet cows uh, in the country, and uh, it's a big family operation. We're all kind of separate from one another, but we work together and we market together and we all have the same, uh, breeding goals and, uh, desires for helping our
0: customers. Mm-hmm. I want to talk now as, as we, as we really, the focus of this interview is going to be to talk about Brucker Charlet Meats, a venture now that you guys have, have started out on and, uh. I want to go through it today, and, and, and as we said before our interview here today, I, I want to talk about what took you down this road of of doing this, some of the things that you experience as you try to put it together, and and then overall how things are going. So that's kind of, you know, to give you an idea of what I want to talk about today, that's kind of where that's at. So let's start from the beginning, go back to this, because uh, I know for you all, it was a venture that that you that you went out on and but there had to be a reason for that and so when when that started and the wheels started rolling as far as uh putting something like this together what what started those wheels rolling to to move to to starting up a venture called De Brucker Charley Meats
1: Well uh to start off with Justin back in the 1970s my dad started a meat venture called Sharpack, and uh he started marketing charlotte beef to some different restaurants and grocery store lines back in the, in the seventies and things were going along really well. Uh, and they were actually in the, they bought some pretty big equipment for that time. And in about six months, they were already in the black in this new business venture and things were working well. And, uh, then, kind of things went wrong with him and his partner and things fell apart. And it, and it was always a disappointment of my father's that, uh, that he wasn't able to keep that going. Mm-hmm. And so I've thought about that through the years and talked to the family and, and we just kind of felt like we needed to take another stab at it in, in today's day and age and believe that, uh, consumers, you know, they want to have connection to their, to the ground. Mm-hmm. They want to have an understanding of where their meat and and food is coming from, and so we decided to take another stab at it. Mm-hmm.
0: As you as you looked at this, and, and of course you had you had some previous experience with your families uh, trying this earlier on, and then moving into this. Was there anything in the in our um in the beef industry or the beef economy, I guess if you want to put it that way, that you felt was going to give you uh something else that you were looking at trying to get to that you weren't getting elsewhere. I know you guys have sold bulls for a lot of years so you have that that enterprise system within your deal, but at the same time when you look at the meat venture things and where our society was moving, what what were the driving factors that pushed you this direction?
3: Well,
1: you know, number one, I just feel like it's it's uh, consumer oriented. Uh, I feel like consumers want this, and so we want to give them give them the opportunity. You know, we've been uh, consuming this beef our whole lives uh, Charlet beef, raised and and uh, raised on the ground and fattened on on barley and and grain—and uh, just feel like it's you know some of the best steaks we've ever had whether you're in a great restaurant or uh in uh, at home we feel like this is this that what we've been consuming our whole lives is some of the better beef we've we've enjoyed anywhere mm-hmm. and we want to share that with our customers and we want to help help our bull customers uh down the road have a place to market their calves as well as the goal mm-hmm. so
0: Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue. My guest today is Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlay and DeBrucker Charlay Meats out of Dutton, Montana. As we're talking about a branded beef product and some ideas and some information that Brett can share along for folks maybe considering something like this and how it evolved for them for their ranching operation. When we come back, we're going to talk about how they moved from an idea into actually getting things up and off the ground when we continue on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge weaning program. This two-step program with the AmmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and this segment is brought to you by Performance Beef, easy-to-use cattle management software. And the question for the day is, how do you manage data for your cattle business? Well, you can stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs, and you can get real-time access from anywhere by using Performance Beef. Here's the thing. You can update rations. You can generate real-time closeout reports. Record health data right there at the chute. You can do it out in the pen or in the pasture, and you can analyze performance trends, doing it all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. If you want to find out more, go to Performance Beef online and request a demo. Well, my guest today is Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlay and DeBrucker Charlay Meats. And Brett, we've been learning about uh, your, your program and, uh, and your enterprise up in Dutton, Montana. And as you started down the road then of moving past the idea of developing DeBrucker Charlay Meats, Let's go through that process and the steps you guys had to take to start to build that, for lack of better words, put meat on the bone uh, of that sca- of that <laughs> idea that you had. We
1: just decided that, uh, you know, it was time. I've been thinking about it for quite a while of how to go about trying to get a DeBruycker-Charlotte label. Uh, I thought about approaching some of the bigger packing companies, but uh, just didn't know uh, what kind of results we'd have there. So we decided to try to start it a different way and try to go direct to the consumer rather than through those through the large packing companies. And uh, you know, it it takes a little bit of time. You know, it's not like your normal uh, everyday business that develops a soft drink and you know you got a supply chain and you got to get to the consumers and do some marketing. This is a little different because mm-hmm. it's a live animal, and you got to think about uh, you know how you got to get that animal grown alongside its mother and then you got to get it weaned and and fattened and then the processing part of it so it's a little more in-depth uh discussion and uh efforts to do but but we've got it rolling a little bit now and kind of feel like we're heading in the right direction and and, uh we've had good good feedback from our consumers so far that have tried the beef so Mm -hmm. so we're pretty excited with uh the direction we're headed with it
0: Just to get a little bit more clarity in the process here, let's walk us through uh, from the calf all the way through and and where this animal's headed to. I know you talk about uh, you were originally looked at, maybe seeing if you could get that label through some of the bigger packing operations. You did not go that way. You went a little bit more localized. So let's talk about each of these steps, starting from, you know, these calves born born and then, you know, fed out and let's walk through that process and where these animals are headed with your, with your labeled product.
1: So, uh, right now what we're marketing is, is, uh, our purebred DeBruycker Charlet uh, heifers that we're choosing not to breed. Uh, we're fattening these heifers at the local feedlot that for, uh, 40 years, our family owned, uh, called North Montana feeders. Mm-hmm. We no longer own the feedlot, but we are a large feeder there and uh, they do a great job and they're a good family to work with. And uh, from there, after we get the animals fattened up, uh, currently we're taking them to a a local uh, processor called White's Meats over in Ronan, Montana, which is a USDA inspected facility. And they're doing a great job. We hang the beef for 21 days uh, minimum. And uh, they do a great job cutting and wrapping it for us. And from there, we uh, bring it home and we've got a, a freezer that we store it in and we're shipping it out uh, through UPS and FedEx and, mm-hmm. and uh, getting it out to our customers that way.
0: From the marketing standpoint, as you've, you've got the product now, it's sitting in the freezer there. What are the marketing steps that you guys have taken to get the get the product out in front of uh, whether it's consumers, uh, families, you know, wanting to buy a, a product or restaurants? What is the marketing steps that you guys have taken?
1: So we're using social media a fair amount. That'd be the number one thing, and then we're going back uh, with our uh, advertising uh, relationships that we have with. Uh, for our bull sale, for our bull customers and bull sale. And we're using some of that to get the word out. And, uh, we're working on another strategy, uh, that we're not quite ready to, to release yet, but Mm -hmm. we're working on another strategy that I think is going to be real exciting. Uh, And, uh, then the other thing is is just word of mouth. You know, we're talking to a lot of people, we're getting it in the hands of friends and uh, neighbors, uh, all the way from San Francisco out to Chicago, down to Florida, and trying to get it spread out into some different, uh, consumers hands so that they can get a taste of the Brooker charlotte beef and, and know how good it is. Mm
0: -hmm. Brett, as you went through this project, uh, there, there's always the planning stages and the the idea, then the planning, and then you start to put things together. And nothing ever, nothing ever works like you originally thought it was going to work in a way. <laughs> so, so what I want to know is what were what were some of the hiccups along the way that you kind of had to uh, that you had to figure out and and you fi- found a solution to. But what were some of those hiccups that as you that you guys discovered as you came?
1: Well. Well, Justin, you know, fortunately, we've been in this industry a long time, and we've been feeding cattle, uh, you know, my entire life and and before. So, you know, we had a we had a pretty good handle on feeding cattle, mm-hmm. and a pretty good handle on what it takes to process cattle. Even though we we don't cut the meat up ourselves, we we do understand that portion of the industry. Uh, but I'll tell you what's really been uh, interesting slash difficult slash a challenge <laughs> is the shipping and handling. Okay, uh, you know, there's no question that uh, this this type of uh, marketing and this type of promotion for people's beef that want to do something like this uh, besides us, if other people want to try it, the the thing I'd warn them about mostly is you got to figure out how to ship the mm-hmm. ship the product more inexpensively and uh so that's something we're still working through uh we've we've made some inroads there and and had some progress but but that's still a pretty difficult portion of what we're trying to get done
0: just sure you bet yeah i think <clears throat> you know and that's an element that uh like you said as ranchers we're familiar with the growing you know and and and, yep. the, and the product itself but uh you know when we step into that other venture that's something that we're not as as familiar with. Um, as, as you're going forward with your branded product here, what's the potential that you see with your product, I guess? Is there is there some overall goals that you're wanting to see with your program?
1: Well, you know, the main goal is we want 100% customer satisfaction. Uh, you know, we, we know the quality of our beef. We know uh, its tenderness and taste is is as good as it gets. Uh, and we just, we just want to make sure that we can get it into the customer's hands in a proper fashion and, and, uh, help them have an enjoyable eating experience. That's the number one goal. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, we feel like there's plenty of room for growth as long as we can, uh, find a way to, uh, functionally supply it. Uh, we think that the sky's the limit in this type of thing. Uh, if, if you can get past the, su- the supply part.
0: You bet. Well, let's take another break here. And when we come back, uh, we're going to continue. Today, my guest is Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlay Meats, as we have been talking about how they evolved uh, with a branded beef product from their ranching operation. And, Brett, when we come back, I'm going to visit with you. I want to hear your response to what within the industry and it's going to get maybe maybe a little bit more of a political question here that has caused you guys to also look down this road of a branded beef product we're going to talk about that and of course uh, be sure to stay with us later in our program i've got a commentary on last week's episode also meteorologist don Day will be joining us as well we're going to continue our conversation with brett debrucker when we come back on the working ranch radio show Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform. Accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147 Sirius XM I'm Justin Mills. Glad to have you here along with us today. By the way, this is episode 44. So if you're going to go back and listen to it on a podcast, that's what you're going to be looking for. Also, it's an easy way to share it. If you find here something uh, that you like, you want to share it on your social media account or share the link to somebody through email, there's ways that you can do that. Just click on the share button and you're going to have various different ways that you can do that. But anyways, glad to have you here with us. My guest today is Brett DeBrucker with DeBrucker Charlet out of Dutton, Montana. And we've been talking about how they've Branded from their ranching operation uh, to now a branded beef product called the Brucker Charlet Meats. And Brett, I want to move away just a little bit from talking about the Brucker Charlet Meats. And I want to talk a little bit more industry just a bit because mm-hmm. you didn't do this without having a basis understanding of, of some of the issues that work cha- that are challenging in the cattle industry right now. And so yeah. from from that standpoint, looking at our industry, what do you see are the things going forward that our beef industry needs to be, I guess, uh, either understanding or adaptive to uh, for the sustainability of our beef industry?
1: Well, that's an awfully big question, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, this, this is not a long enough program yeah. to tackle all that, but I'll try. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the biggest, one of the bigger reasons why we decided to to Branch out into the Brecksville charlotte meats. It is simply because it looks to me like the day of the uh, independent cattle feeder is behind us, okay. and it, it saddens me to say that. But I, I think that I think that's behind us. We're we're in the process, like it or not, and I don't like it. <laughs> but like it or not, that uh, you know ver- vertical integration is coming to the cattle industry, and uh, if. You know, it seems like the Packers, they have uh, all the control, and due to that, they have basically all of the money. And it's its starting to feel like, not starting to, it it feels like uh, if you're not, uh, you know, a 50,000 50, head, 100,000, 200,000 head feed yard that uh, is Packer aligned and finding a way to get a piece of the cutout, uh, it's like you know, it just doesn't feel like there's much future for independent cattle feeders. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we, I was brought up from Lloyd and Jane to be pretty, uh, strong willed and and independent, but yet an open-minded thinker. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel like this is a way that we can, uh, branch out, help not only our ourselves and our family, but also our bull customers, uh, as a way to, uh, continue forward with the Brooker Charlet and, uh, you know, making it a bigger and better product.
0: For you guys, um, and, and there's going to be some people listening and say, well, I don't have, you know, 2,200 head of mother cows to, to, to build a product, b- branded product out of. How do I make this work, you know, from a, from a smaller guy's operation? What would be your answer to somebody like that?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, my nephew started a uh, little storefront in a small town that he's from. And he's also involved into Brooker Charlotte, but, but what he got done is separate from what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And he is marketing beef, uh, through his local storefront in a town of about 1800 people. And, uh, he's marketing anywhere from, you know, five to eight beef a month doing it that way. And it's really turned into a great venture for him. And I think that there's all sorts of opportunity for people like, like that out there who, uh, you know, want to market three or four or 10, Mm -hmm. you know, beef a month, for example. They just need to get lined up, uh, figure out how to feed the cattle correctly. You know, if you're a rancher and you haven't fed cattle, you know, it takes a little bit insight and you want to do it right because you want the customer to understand and understand what you're going through and that you want them to be happy with the product they get every time. Mm -hmm. So that'd be the number one thing. And then the number, the second thing is, uh, you know, make some calls to local uh, USDA processors and uh, get your foot in the door with them. And along with that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to branch into like a storefront, like what I'm talking about, because it might seem daunting, mm-hmm. but I I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm.
0: Brett, just a little bit more about some of your marketing that you have in place uh, and wanted to give folks, have you give folks kind of that contact information and ways that they can find you. Because I know you, you talked about that you do use social media quite extensively for the methods of reaching out to potential customers. And and uh, so what are those websites? I know you have a, a YouTube channel as well. And uh, just that information for folks that might be interested in exploring more about DeBrucker Meats.
1: Yeah, so right now, you know, of course, we're on Facebook, uh, DeBrukers Meets. Meats. Uh, we're on, we're on Twitter uh, as well as Instagram. We're we're getting worked up uh, with some pretty good videos coming on Instagram, and uh, uh, and then of course our website, DeBrukersCharleyMeats and you can also go to our our home website of DeBrukersCharley and that'll take you to uh, to the meats portion of the website as well to where people can place orders, uh, over the internet, right on our website.
0: Okay. I want just a thought that kind of came to my head as you're talking about this. And I just find it, I mean, compared to 1974, when your dad was hauling a bull up an elevator, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that, that method of, of marketing that they did there to now, I mean, I mean, you're talking Twitter, you're talking Facebook, you're talking YouTube that is a completely different method of marketing. And how, I mean, how have you guys adapted to that? Because I know, I know, I mean, I know for some folks it's going to be, boy, I don't know if I want to venture into this social media stuff.
1: Well, it's uh, pretty wild. There's no doubt about it. And, and one thing I'd tell you, my dad, uh, he, he was a very creative and inventive marketer. And I, I would say that, uh, he was one of the best of, of his time. Mm -hmm. And if he was alive today and, uh, you know, he just passed away here a month, month and a half ago, if he was alive and active today, I think he would be so excited with the ability (laughs) and, uh, that we have to be able to access more potential customers through this social media that, you know, I would encourage everybody to do your best to take advantage of it because, uh, you know, the opportunities out there.
0: Well, Brett, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I, I think it's a, an interesting story that you guys have had through uh, starting with, like, as you said, just a few handful of heifers all the way up to now being the largest Charlet operation in the country. And as we leave our interview here today and, and in, in specifically about your venture of venturing into Debrucker or Charlet Meats, is there any last advice that you would offer to folks in regards to this venture that you guys have uh, went down?
1: Well, uh, number one, I want to say thank you, Justin, to you and Working Ranch for allowing us this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I wanted to say that I really appreciate uh, if any potential customers out there would like to uh, purchase some beef from us, we'd be honored to have you. And then as far as some advice to other people out there that want to start this, you know, uh, I, I just think the best advice is just go get to work and and give it a whirl because I think the opportunity there and it's just a matter of uh, working for it and, and getting through the pitfalls that are always in the way of startup businesses. Mm-hmm. But I think the possibilities are endless.
0: All right. Well, Brett, I do again want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show and all the best to you guys as you move forward. Well, thank you very much, Justin. I very much appreciate it. Brett DeBrucker has been my guest here today with DeBrucker Charlet as we've been talking about their branded beef program that they've kicked off called DeBrucker Charlay Meats. Uh, hopefully some information in that if anybody's kind of massaging that idea for their own operation, maybe some takeaways that you can pull out of our interview today and our conversation with Brett DeBrucker. By the way, as he said, they are on multiple outlets of social media uh, and and I'll tell you, here's the nice thing about our internet. You don't even have to know how to spell things correctly because I'm a terrible speller. If you just type in DeBrucker Charlotte Meats. You don't even have to spell everything correctly. I'll tell you what, the first thing that pops up in your web browser is going to be DeBrucker Charlet. I'll bet you, and that's an easy way to go out and take a look at what they have going on there. So again, thanks to my guest today, Brett DeBrucker, for being on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Our featured interview today has been brought to you by Biozyme. Protect and recovery with VitaCharge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita dash charge stay with us coming up next my commentary on last week's episode if you didn't join us for that episode 43 go back and take a listen and in our last segment today meteorologist don day joins us with a look at our long-term weather we'll be back with more on the working ranch radio show There's assurance in buying bulls from a proven program, and a program that's been proven time and time again is Caneli Angus. So mark your calendar now for Caneli Angus fall bull sale, Monday, November 22nd, the Monday before Thanksgiving, offering approximately 350 head of fully guaranteed older bulls with free wintering and free delivery nationwide. These are bulls out of the industry's leading sires with genomic enhanced EPDs. They'll also be offering 6 head of heifer calves. Remote bidding will be available so for more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. It's Keneally Angus Fall Bull Sale, Monday, November 22nd at 12 noon Mountain, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Uh, a little bit of a twist here on our segment right now as I don't always offer a commentary. A lot of times I might offer a few thoughts or ideas in regards to a subject, but not very often am I going to offer commentary as I am today. But last week I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson, who is the director of the AgNext program and an animal science professor at Colorado State University. And let me first say this my comments today regarding last week's show are not at all negative. Towards my guest. In fact, like I said earlier, I believe the work she is heading up through the AgNext program at CSU is extremely and vitally important in providing scientific data for our ranching industry as we find ourselves always having to defend ourselves in a country that has allowed affluence to create ignorance in our society. Several years ago, when I used to speak quite a bit at industry meetings and conferences, I would say that we were three to four generations away from the family farm, meaning that you used to hear kids talk about visiting their aunt and uncle's farm or their grandparents' farm. But that's not the case anymore. In fact, we are rapidly moving away from that to the point that the closest that many kids and parents get to agriculture is walking through the refrigerated or the frozen section at the grocery store. Last week, if you had a chance to listen to Dr. Stackhouse Lawson talk about the sustainability of livestock agriculture, if you were like me, you came away from that interview with some very mixed feelings. In fact, for me, I'll tell you, I was quite honestly, I was disturbed and frustrated about what she was telling me. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's episode 43 entitled Sustainability, the S-Word. But here was the problem and the number one thing that really bothered me. And again, this is not frustration towards my guest because she was just relaying the information that they are finding about the characteristics of our society. And this was the comment. Science and emotion are on equal footing. I want you to think about that for just a second. I'm going to replay that portion of our interview so that you can hear what Dr. Stackhouse Lawson was advising us about in correlation to sustainability of livestock agriculture. Let's take a listen.
3: You know, we do lots of consumer studies. We we focus.
0: Um, we focus in in, uh, really intuitively on these, on these generations. And yet it's really hard to predict kind of where their social values are going to lie. And in this space of sustainability, we have to remember that science and emotion are on equal footing, right? Mm -hmm. And and even if we don't like it, that's, that's the reality. Now I want you to think about that for just a second. Science and emotion are on equal footing. And I guess what I'm struggling with the most is, do we just accept that? Do we just move on and, and that that's okay? Because for me I'll tell you I am struggling with accepting that comment. Or maybe I should say there's some reality to that because there's there's that's what people are thinking or are feeling and there's some there's some legitimacy to what people feel. I don't want to ignore that. But I know that I am not okay with accepting that mindset in our society. And here's the reason why. I think it's dangerously flirting with the fact that truth is your perception of reality and truth is not based on facts or science for that matter, which I'm going to address some concerns about modern scientists in just a moment. For example, Newton's law of gravity in layman's terms says that if I get bucked off my horse, I'm going to at some point hit the ground. And I can tell you that just because I emotionally do not want to hit the ground doesn't make me float above the horse somehow coming down peaceably in the saddle and everything's going to be okay i'm bothered that we are being pressed in our society to be okay that truth and proven facts are just defined by what each person wants in their own terms and are not universal there's nothing about that that i feel is beneficial to our society in the long run And what's added to that mindset that universal truths and facts are irrelevant to our societies is information being released in the name of science. See, science is no longer science. Studies are now being released that are bent on proving what one wants to believe rather than what the science leads them to conclude. For example, in our conversation last week with Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson, the U.N. study that perpetuated and, and was one of the catalysts into, into making people believe that animals were the main, one of the major causes or above transportation in climate change was inaccurate. Also, studies that are not based on understanding the full system, as we heard about last week as well. So there's really no respectability in science now, which then leads to what generates people to action, and that's emotion which then leads to the statements that gets us to where we're here in the first place, and that is science and emotion are on equal footing. So here's my thoughts as I conclude. I think we have to take Dr. Cam Stackhouse Lawson's comments very seriously. Like she said, whether we like it or not, it is reality for many in that fact that science and emotion are on equal footing. But here are my points. Number one, just because it may be reality for some doesn't make it morally or ethically right for our society. Sure, we need to understand what we're dealing with with our society, much like two football teams prepare for the other team's offense and defense. Those living in our society are our potential customers. And like Dr. Stackhouse Lawson relayed in our conversation last week, we need to understand that we do need to tell our story and we have nothing to be ashamed of in animal agriculture. Number two, we still have to maintain a line of what is right and wrong and be willing to be humbled and accepting when we are wrong rather than bend the rules to fit our quote right. Number three. I caution those that want to get caught up in going down the road of selling their products and their services using emotion as the driving element rather than proven facts. And here's an example, and I actually heard this from a gentleman saying that the bulls he sells are more environmentally friendly in comparison to other bulls being sold on the market today. Now, while there's probably some legitimate reasons that I can somewhat understand where that comment is being rooted from, The problem is that there's really not a lot of absolute science backing that claim, but it's Playing to the emotions rather than science or facts. Understanding the significance of emotion in our society is one thing, but playing to the crowd entirely is going to do two things. Number one, it's going to cheapen the integrity of your product. And number two, it's going to pit you against those within your very own industry. Think about these two things. Number one, it's going to cheapen the integrity of your product. And number two, it's going to pit you against those within your own industry. Last week, if you really took the time to step back and listen to Dr. Stackhouse Lawson, it was all about us being proactive for our industry, that we need to quit moping around, feeling picked on. Yes, we are the target for liberal activists, but it's time that we step up with pride for what we do, that we be an educator at all times of our industry. You see, just the term educator embodies the fact that we are being proactive, Dr. Stackhouse Lawson is excited about the AgNext program at Colorado State University because it's going to be a source of factual science about our industry to combat the bad science that's being promoted. So, while the notion and that comment that says science and emotion are on equal footing literally turns my stomach, I realize that we must understand that as we move forward. It is okay to give some element of credence and legitimacy to people's emotion, but we can't take that too far. We still have to be the ones that are going to have to lead, even though it's going to take time, by standing up for universal truths that were established when God created man on this earth. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA-subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below-average rainfall. Hargrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry-leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up-to-date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we turn now towards our weather segment today, brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Give them a call at 325-573-8975 and ask for a free custom quote. Check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, joining us now is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And uh, something that I I prefaced last week in our show was a question I was going to ask you is because I heard this in national media that La Nina is coming back, and and my my question to you is is our is national media just kind of waking up to what we have already been talking about, or you've already been telling us, uh, or is this prolonged? long longer than what we had anticipated for La Nina into uh, continuing on.
3: Well, one thing we've been talking about in the last couple of months is that La Nina was going to likely strengthen and kind of have another little burst of energy before it fades away this spring. So we're not changing how long we think La Nina is going to be lasting and what it's going to do this fall and winter. But what happens sometimes is that uh, the national media likes to make sure that they have everything specific and where it meets certain criteria during the the middle part of the summer, the sea surface temperatures near the equator actually warmed up a little. And technically speaking, La Nina wasn't technically a La Nina anymore. It was kind of what we call a neutral situation, but we didn't want to say La Nina was gone because we were very confident it was going to strengthen again. So the national media is just kind of catching up on it. And you're going to be hearing more about it because indeed, Justin over the last two or three weeks, we have seen the, the subtropics along the equator, the water temperatures really cool off mm-hmm. again. And in previous discussions, we've had that when you're when you're just getting out of a solar minimum, you tend to have two year La Nina's. And that's exactly what we're experiencing right now.
0: OK. Earlier on, when we had talked a couple of shows back that the latter part of October, we were going to see some more weather changes taking place. That appears as though that's what's going to shape up.
3: Yeah, it's been a very productive last couple of weeks in parts of the central and northern Rockies with two large, very wet storms that have gone over some of the drought areas of of Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota. There's going to be now a, a big slug of moisture hitting the West Coast. Now, this is something that is really newsworthy because, as we all know, California and parts of the Pacific Northwest and part of the great basin have been really, really dry and in severe and extreme drought conditions, but we're seeing something that we did not see last fall, Justin, and that's very cold, moist jet stream coming off the North Pacific Mm -hmm. and diving into central and Northern California, Washington, and Oregon. And uh, we're going to see some very impressive rains uh, from central and Northern California all the way up to southwest British Columbia, and even into the interior. You know, a lot of times we'll get these big rains that'll get the, the coastal areas, but not be able mm-hmm. to get over the mountains. And eastern Washington, eastern Oregon kind of gets left out. While they're not going to get as much, some of those areas are going to get rain. And some of that will be spilling into the Great Basin as well. And importantly, and as we all know how important snowpack mm-hmm. is in the Sierra Nevada, the Sierra Nevada could be looking at one to two to three feet of snow Hmm. over the next seven to ten days in some of those central and northern mountain areas
0: okay so let's let's take this a little bit further into the midwest i know i was down in central southern uh south dakota north or or above the middle part of nebraska this last week they're starting to harvest sunflower starting to harvest some corn uh, but that's not completed yet where's this weather going to affect the midwest and in the corn belt country
3: Well, the good news for folks involved in in harvest operations is while some of the weather that's in the West will come over the mountains and onto the plains, it looks like the bulk of the real stormy weather is going to stay from the Continental Divide and points West. And the systems coming through the Midwest will be minor probably through the end of the month. Now, as we get into the early to middle parts of November, but especially, I think really just any time after Halloween. Uh, Some stronger, colder systems will come on in. So they've got some time here to get more harvest operations done. But once we get into early November, that's when we'll start to see the weather go more towards the middle part of the U.S.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here again on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. That's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. By the way, his daily video podcast can be found on his website at dayweather.com. Dot .com Our weather today's been brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance providing pasture, range and forage insurance to ranchers all across the nation for a free custom quote Give them a call. Check it out online at HargroveInsurance.com. Other sponsors today include the American Cemental Association. It's more per head, period. Find out more at cemental.org. Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Performance Beef. Find Performance Beef online to learn more. And request a demo. And finally, Keneally Angus with their fall bull sale coming up on Monday, November 22nd, the Monday before Thanksgiving. For more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of the Working Ranch Magazine. If you'd like to get a hold of me, send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for joining us. Be sure to join us back again next week. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.